Welcome to Pre-K Spot Talks. I am Melissa, your host and the founder of Pre-K Spot, the spot for early childhood educators to open up their teaching. I am your guide down the open-ended child-led teaching path, and together we will explore strategies and ideas so that you may open up your teaching to less stress, more engagement, and an overall joyful child-led classroom. Hey, hey, educator friend. We're back, and this week we talk all about play. Wait, didn't we talk about play last week? We did. We talked about play and the brain and why play is important for brain architecture. This week, we talk about the basics of play, the stages and the kinds of play and what that looks like in the classroom. I've said it before and I will probably say it again, but play is the way and we could talk about it forever, all day, every day. Being that play is the main content of open-ended child-led teaching, which is the main content of my classroom, it will often be a topic of conversation. But I promise every time we talk about it, we're going to talk about something different, a different aspect of it, and the whys and the hows. For me, it all comes back to play, which leads into the topics of this week. Understanding the basics of play gives you the foundation for understanding your children's play and your children better. It helps build relationships and it is a jumping off point for going deeper into open-ended teaching. Let's get right into it. First, we have the stages of play. You will see children participating in throughout their development in early childhood. These are unoccupied play, solo play, observer play, associative play, parallel play, and cooperative play. It is so important to understand these and to always be sort of assessing their stages of play because these can be red flags for developmental delays and it's going to be the key to pushing your children forward and creating harmony in your classroom. Starting from when they are infants, the first stage of play is unoccupied play. It's going to look like a child staring out a window or daydreaming, kind of just being there, like being in space, maybe moving their body, and just figuring out who they are, where they are, and what's going on around them. They're taking in the environment and information, but they're not necessarily physically engaged with materials or a person. The next type of play is solo play. Solo play is where a child is playing alone, physically engaged with materials, but has no interest in others even if others are around. And then there's observer play, sometimes also known as onlooker play. This is exactly what it sounds like. It is a child watching another child or person engage in play and processing their play, but does not engage with them. Parallel play, and this is where a child is playing near another child, but with different toys and materials, different game or idea. They may cross material paths, but they are not engaging with one another, but they are are in the same space. The next one we have is associative play. Associative play is when a child is playing alongside another in parallel play, but has intermittent interactions or begins to notice what others are doing near them. Maybe they think about wanting to play, or maybe they grab the same materials but play a different game, or they're playing alongside them. They may play with the same item, but in their own ways. And finally, we have the mecca, which is cooperative play. And again, this is exactly what it sounds like. Cooperative play is when children are negotiating space and roles and communicating with one another on the same game or idea or adding their own ideas and to make it come together and to grow. 
Cooperative play is always what we're aiming for, but that doesn't mean that the other kinds of play are not okay. Solo play, totally fine. Totally common form of play. Come on, we all like to be alone sometimes. It's not a sign of developmental delay unless it is the only thing the child engages in. If the child struggles to enter play or the child struggles to be cooperative, then you know you have a red flag. Parallel and associative play. Very common for the younger pre-K kids, like three-year-olds, four-year-olds. This is how sometimes they get to know people. This is how they get to know their space, their environment. We always want them to build up to cooperative play, but if parallel play is the way to do that, then that is also okay. It is what we expect to see early on in the school year in a pre-K classroom. Cooperative play. This is the mecca. This is always what we're aiming for. This is where children get to really dig deep into that social relationships and all of those social interactions. They have to turn take. They have to negotiate. They have to wait. They have to speak up. They have to not speak up. They have to listen. They have to be a part of a group and they have to share materials. And it's there's so much that goes on in cooperative play. That is why it is where we want all kids to be. These stages of play do typically develop through ages. You're going to see unoccupied play in an infant, solo play in an infant and a toddler. You're going to see some parallel play in a toddler. And then you're going to start seeing things as they get a little bit bigger. And by the time they're about five or six, they should definitely be participating in cooperative play. They can start playing cooperative play as early as three or even two with somebody else. But generally, it's going to be three, four or five when they really start to develop their cooperative play. This is why playing in pre-K is oh so important. It has to be there. And I'm not talking for 30 minutes in timed sensors. I'm talking free, unbridled play. Play where kids can choose what they want to be, decide if they want to stay or go, and just total liberty and freedom. This is the way children are really going to take those play opportunities and turn them into learning opportunities. Now that we've talked about the stages of play that children go through, let's talk about the kinds of play or the types of play that children act out. The types of play are fantasy play, constructive play, games with rules, social play, and physical play. And to me, physical play constitutes gross motor physical play, so rough and tumble play, and sensory play, something that's a little bit more fine motor. So what each one of these looks like, when you're talking about fantasy play, fantasy play plus cooperative play is the end-all, be-all mecca of everything that we are looking for in early childhood and as kids grow. Fantasy play is when children are choosing an imaginary scenario and they're going to act it out. They might assign roles. They might tell people to do different things. They might allow tons of people in or maybe fantasy play, they're just playing solo. But fantasy play is where children are using their most creative brains. They're using their best ideas and they're really processing and trying things out, which is why we always want children to have opportunity to engage in this deep fantasy play. The next type you have is games with rules. This is going to look like fantasy play, but it's going to have limitations. It's going to be exactly what it sounds like. This is where children are going to play things like hide and seek, or they're going to start playing things like grocery store, and you're going to have to do things a certain way. They're going to start adding in these rules, limitations, all of the things that are going to give it a little bit of structure. 
constructive play. This is even more structured play. And as much as it's about the process, this is where you're going to see a little bit more of a product. This is where you're going to find block building or crafts or Lego building, magnet tiles, lots of things like that. We want kids to be constructors. They're setting a goal. This is where kids are going to create something. Where fantasy play, they're creating a scenario, but they're not necessarily creating a product. Constructive play, you're probably going to end up with a product. Then we have physical play. Physical play, again, exactly what it sounds like. First part of physical play is your rough and tumble play, also known as horse play or play fighting. This is where you're going to see the large movements and kids throwing their bodies around. Rough and tumble play is so important for all children. This is where they're taking major, major risks. This is where they're learning how to stop their bodies. You know, there's a really amazing quote out there by Alfie Cohn. It says, The way kids learn to make good decisions is by making decisions, not following directions. This speaks to me. It speaks to me about risk-taking. You are never going to learn if you don't do. I tell the children in my class all the time, you're never going to learn if you don't do. You got to try. It's the basis of the growth mindset, which is, again, a huge basis for play and an open-ended teaching classroom. While still talking about physical play, there's rough and tumble play, and then there's sensory play. This is where I love to talk about, you know, kids getting their hands in things, and not necessarily just fine motor, but sensory in the sense of doing that rough and tumble play. Maybe they need to push into something. Maybe they need to pull. These are all going to speak to their sensory systems. And there are actually 13, which I've learned. I'm not an OT, but I definitely try to have a lot of sensory smart ideas within the classroom because meeting sensory needs is huge for children with developmental delays or typically developing children. And I'm sure we can all figure out what sensory play is. It's, you know, the water, the sand, the, you know, spinning, the jumping, the running, all of that that falls under the physical realm. Finally, we have social play. Again, just like everything else, social play is exactly as it sounds. This is where children are engaging in the fantasy play and the cooperative play, and they're building the social constructs of being a human. Social play can also encompass a lot of the language use and a lot of just like basic relationship building interactions and connections. It's about building community. It's about coming together and learning how to be a part of a group. I would love to talk about things or play that makes us uncomfortable. One of those we've already mentioned and spoken a lot about, and that is rough and tumble play. This can be a huge problem for a lot of people, myself included. It is tough to watch, and it's tough to watch these kids bump and pull and crash and hurt themselves a little bit when you know that it can be stopped. But again, they're never going to learn if we never let them try. Of course, there are limitations. Are we going to let people truly hurt people by, you know, hitting people or punching people or stepping on people or pushing people into things? Absolutely not. They do need to have limits, but they do need to be allowed to engage in the play. Another one of these types of play that can really make us uncomfortable is gunfight play. There's a lot of controversy around this, and we do allow it. 
I often will try to just use different language or, oh, are you, you have a shooter or a water shooter or what's it shooting? I try to dig deep and find out what they're playing. Often in pre-K age, they're just playing out, you know, Avengers or Power Rangers, or they're playing a character and playing a character and acting that character out and doing what that character does is safe. It's okay. Because they're just reenacting and processing what they see. And this is healthy. We want them to understand that superheroes live in the movies and you can process their play, but that doesn't necessarily happen in real life. This is a form of the fantasy play. You know, you might have a child whose father is a police officer and they might be acting out saving people. And again, this is how they're going to process these types of roles in society. Now we have a rule in our classroom that is you can only play gun games with people who are playing gun games. There's no running up to somebody who is not participating and shooting them. So that way, it contains it to the kids who want to play it, and it's not making kids who don't want to play incredibly uncomfortable or scared or things like that. You kind of also have to read the room. So far, we haven't had a problem. Everybody understands these rules. Other types of play that can make us uncomfortable is messy play. I understand that some people cannot handle this or can only handle this within the context of the classroom and a certain activity. Now, we don't necessarily have a problem with mess in our classroom, but we learn how to sort of contain it and we learn how to move around it. You know, I don't let the kids just strewn toys across the floor because if they step on them, they're going to break. And if they break, then we don't have them anymore. But messy play in terms of art projects or paint or slime or things like that, We let the kids do what they got to do to learn how to make those things or move their hands or do what they have to do to figure out the activity and how it feels in their body and how it feels for them. It can be really tough when somebody tries to walk up to you with messy hands and tries to touch you, but we have learned to wear school clothes, we have home clothes, we have comfy clothes, we have special clothes for school. I also highly suggest an apron. They make really great gifts for paras and assistant teachers. I'm sure that we could all sit here and probably speak to the benefits of play. We know play is important in the classroom. We know that play is the most developmentally appropriate practice for early childhood classrooms and children and teachers. Oh, is play just not so much easier to plan than a million worksheets and searching for things? To me, it is. Sometimes the problem is not understanding that play is really important, but the problem is figuring out how to incorporate this play. So now that we understand the different stages and the different types and what we're looking for in play for children, let's talk a little bit about play versus playful. No judgment zone here, but I do not feel that you can call yourself a play-based classroom if you are not engaging in free play for a minimum of an hour to an hour and a half throughout your school day. You'll often hear me talk about the 90-10 rule. My 90-10 rule is that I want my classroom to be 90% child-led or about the children and 10% teacher-led or about the teacher. So that falls into a million different categories, and this is a subject all in itself. But when it comes to play, I want my kids to be playing 90% of the day of that play that they're playing, that 90%, 90% of it to be some type of free play. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with a craft or a playful activity. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Play versus playful. To me, play is free, engaging play. Children get to make the choice. They get to move about as they please. And they get to create the rules and the limits to whatever they're playing. Playful is often maybe a little bit more teacher-led or it's more of an activity with restrictions. It's not free play. Now, I will always go for playful over no play. Okay, let me just say that again. We will always go for playful over no play. But what we are really aiming for is free, engaged, unbridled play. I know that so many things can get in the way of this. Standards, admin, restrictions, limitations, laws, all kinds of things. We are going to talk about that next week. That's a whole topic in itself, and we are definitely going to approach it. But let's pretend for one day that you get to do whatever you want in your classroom. What is it going to look like? Do you know how to incorporate that much play? Now, you might know how to incorporate it, but do you know what to do with it? This has often been the hard part for people making this shift. Part of incorporating this play is understanding the play. And that's exactly why we have today's podcast. Let's just start by letting your kids play. Take whatever free play time you have now and start observing your children. What are you seeing? At what stage of play are they in? What type of play are they playing? How are they socially interacting with their friends? What are they saying? And then after all of that, what topics are they talking about? What topics are coming up the most? And then where are they struggling? Did they get in an argument because somebody wanted to play with the phone and there was only one? Did they know what to do? That's a learning moment right there. Oh, they did know what to do. What did they do with it? Were they talking to each other or were they playing next to each other? When you have these basic foundations, you know where to take the play because you are reading the children within the play and then you're just giving them the skills to play. If you give them the skills to play, you are going to give them the foundation and skills that they need for later learning. I promise you. It might not look like it, but I promise you that's going to happen. Because when you focus on these basic play skills early on in the year, about halfway, about this time of the year in January, you can start digging deeper, throwing in the academics, throwing in deeper topics, throwing in um, study topics, and then they start learning everything in a waterfall action. It's amazing to see. Something else to understand about being play-based There might not be and probably won't be a lot of product because it is all about the journey. We are really helping children just understand how to play and understand how to interact, understand how to be in school and how to be with the kids in this classroom. And the best way to do that is through play. You are giving them those experiences. There's probably not going to be a ton of products, or if there are, which is often what happens in my classroom, they are often the same. My children love to draw, and when you draw, you have a product, but they often draw the same things over and over and over again. I could show you piles and piles and piles of drawings that they make for me, 
and they all look the same from each child. But the best part is, is if you keep one from the beginning of the year and then one, maybe one a month, you right there have a portfolio of the child's progression. And it was a natural, authentic, child-led progression. It wasn't forced learning how to write letters. It wasn't something they weren't ready for. It was them in their true, liberated play freedom. And that's the best part about it. You didn't force that on the kids. They made it up themselves and they can show you their growth if you let them. Play helps children process experiences. Maybe a child got into a car accident with their mom and dad and they had to go in an ambulance to a hospital. They might need to play that out. It helps them understand. Children play out going to the doctor and getting shots and we all know that there are no children out there that enjoy getting a shot. You know, it really helps them build language. We all know that they have to communicate with their friends. They have to communicate with the adults to access what they need. It's going to help build those social skills. It's going to spark their creativity. They're going to learn to regulate their emotions because they're going to get into emotional states. And plus, maybe they're going to play out their emotions through the stuffed animal that they're playing with. It's going to really going to expand their learning because once they have the basic skills down, they're going to be able to dive deeper into topics. So we all know that these are all benefits of play and why we need to do that. Let's talk more about how to do this. One of the best things about having a play-based, open-ended, child-led classroom is that your job as the teacher gets so much easier. Your job now is to just step back and let the authentic learning happen. Let the authentic play happen. Let things just play out naturally. Your job is to facilitate and guide. You are just there to lead them down the path, make sure nobody hurts one another, to keep them safe, and to let them learn. Play is just, it's so natural for them. It's so authentic. Do you have children who might be struggling with play? What are they really struggling with? Are they struggling with communication? Are they struggling with where to go with it? Are you struggling with when to step in and talk to them about their play? Well, one of my favorite things to do is to have children share what they do during play during a meeting the next day or even a meeting immediately after depending on what your schedule looks like. I have some days where we play and then we go to a special and then we come back and we have one period before we go to lunch. So it's really tough to let them dive full into play again, but sometimes we'll take part of that time to have a quick little meeting to do shares about what we played. I'll take pictures and share them on our screens, or the kids will share a drawing that they did, or I'll have a child stand up and share the block tower that they did. And I find that children are able to start building those communication skills and those language skills, and other children become inspired by other friends' work. We all know that children, they want to do what their friends are doing. So why not use that to our advantage? Have a child share what they did. See if another child is inspired by it. Something else to do if you have children who are struggling or children who are continually going to the same area and not really moving forward. I will make a minor note that going to the same area over and over again is okay. You just need to look at what they're playing within that area. Is the play pushing forward still or is it really stagnant? There is absolutely nothing wrong with one day one area happens to be closed. 
Oh, I'm sorry, block area is closed today. That just forces children to move on to different areas or maybe even with other friends. So I leave you with a few questions. What does your child's play look like? Is it kicking a soccer ball? Is it rough and tumble play with friends? Is it building blocks? So is that physical play? Is it constructive play? Is it fantasy play? Are they engaging solo? What are they doing? No matter which type, supporting your child's play as much as possible will be the key to building relationships and pushing them forward and helping them learn. It is really the building block for all learning and development. I know I already shared a quote with you, but I'd love to share this other quote that has to do with play that I just am absolutely in love with. Our quote of the week this week is, it is a happy talent to know how to play. Ralph Waldo Emerson. I want to leave you with a play challenge as well. So play challenge this week, show children a picture of a local building or maybe a famous building in your city or something that there is easily recognizable. Or even better yet, if you can, go out into your community and take a picture. Even if you step outside and take a picture of your school and then take those pictures, put them into a book or hang them up in your block area and then see what children can do with blocks or loose parts. Just having this simple, recognizable, approachable picture can be all a child needs to be inspired. And isn't that what we're here to do? To facilitate and inspire. So in summary, this week we've talked about the stages of play. Unoccupied play, solo play, observer play, associative play, parallel play, and cooperative play. And then we talked about the kinds of play. Fantasy play, constructive play, games with rules, physical play, and social play. Play is the most authentic, natural way of learning for all children. And let's make sure that children and adults get to engage in play at least once a day. So much of my information and my go-to book on play is Purposeful Play by Christine Raz, Alison Porcelli, and Cheryl Tyler. I can tell you that this book is amazing. It is a great go-to, something you need to have on a teacher's shelf. I've been lucky enough to be personally trained through multiple small intimate PDs with two of the authors and their work has inspired me to help you open up your teaching to the ideas of open-ended child-led play-based learning. And on that note, happy playing. See you next week.